So there's tons of questions like swirling around the minds, especially of our young adults. They are the generation of passion. They have access to a lot of information and they're trying to parse like what's true? What do I cling to? What do I let go of? And so in this episode of the Jada Edwards podcast, I get to sit down with a couple of women that I have discipled and we answer all kinds of questions that our young adults asked us. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure you share it with a friend. Welcome to season four of the Jada Edwards podcast. As always, God is giving us his word to share personal stories and great conversations you are going to want to hear. Um, So the first one that I do want to ask is we have, how are you able to tell the difference between what God is telling you and what your mind is saying? That's a very good question. Um, So what I'm going to try to do today is ground everything in scripture, because if you are just living off opinions. It's just, it's not going to sustain you. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us we have to take every thought captive. And we do that because he understands, he says, you're going to, this, what's going to happen is all arguments and thinking and opinion is going to be raised up against the knowledge of God. And he's talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to church folks. He's saying, you got to take every thought captive. You have to slow down and actually capture what you're thinking so that you can assess it against the word of God. Now, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But what I have found is that when you're in like diligent pursuit of the will of God, that even if you make a misstep, you will be discerning to the correction of the Holy Spirit. It's not that every step along the way will be perfect, but when my heart is really pursuing what God wants for me, then I am more open to the put to the correction of the Holy Spirit should I make a misstep. So you need to be grounded in truth. If you're feeling like I'm trying to discern, is this what God's saying? Is this what I'm feeling? Then how is this consistent with scripture? Is this, is this what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking? Does this line up with the word of God? Not the word of somebody else, the word of God. Secondly, how is the Holy Spirit making provision for this to happen? Because when God is guiding us in something, there's going to be supernatural provision for that thing to happen. Not your work, not your hustle, not your effort. Something supernatural. Thirdly, what are the people in my community saying? The people who I know are walking for God. Not my friends who always got my back. I'm talking about the people who I know walking for God. And lastly, is the thing I'm being is the thing I feel led to do comfortable or sacrificial? Because Romans 12 says you present your body a living sacrifice. Because this is how you find the will of God. And so if it's comfortable and feels good and lifts you up and is a check mark off your vision board and your goal, you might want to double check it through the filter of God. Because very often he's going to call us to something sacrificial because that's how we glorify him. It's usually going to be something that we're having to give up in order to glorify God. And so I think one of the biggest questions that when people ask about knowing the will of God, it is not supposed to be a mystery. He's not like, oh, I hope you figure out what I want for you. Like, He wants this to be easy. He wants you to be able to walk consistently in truth, live sacrificially. And he's like, my will will be plain. It will be made plain to you when you order yourself according to his standard. Absolutely. That's literally everything that I have. Oh, there you go. Four points. Look at that. But I think the biggest thing that Jada said is you have to spend the time knowing the word and knowing what's true. Because you can't recognize the voice of somebody that you haven't heard before. Mm -hmm. So if it's the voice of God, you won't recognize that. If you don't spend regular time with him, you will always have that distorted in your mind. And so that's the biggest thing that I can just drill into. Know the word, know the characteristics of God, and compare that to whatever you feel like you're being called to. Because God will never contradict his word. And so if what you're desiring, what you're going after is contradictory to the scripture, 
it's not God. And you have that community around you to affirm which direction that you're going in. But literally, that was everything <laughs> that I would have said. That's good. I mean, yeah, you, t- you touched a lot of points. For me, on a more practical level, I would say day to day, the number one thing I do is pray to be led by the Holy Spirit. That sets me up good to be in a posture looking for it. And as I go through the day and make decisions, sometimes there's something that I want to do and I know it's in the flesh. But sometimes in the Holy Spirit, it's in my voice, right? It's not always a mystery voice. It's me talking to myself thinking. But when the idea sounds like something I wouldn't regularly do, exactly. I'm like, wait a minute, that's the spirit. You already know. Because, right, right, you know, right, we right, in the flesh, right. and that's the default, yeah. especially for me. Yeah. So, and then I'm like, okay, that sounds like God, like you were saying. Yeah. Does that line up with what God has told me? And then if I try to ignore it, which is another thing I sometimes do, something's like, don't ignore that, don't ignore that, don't ignore that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say practically. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he will find ways to confirm mm-hmm. what he's trying to say to you. Um through reliable sources, like people, like random. You just like, oh my gosh, that message was on that. Oh, this commercial, this song. Like it's so many things. Um, but but that anchoring in scripture, y'all, the nobody is spiritual enough to like live on appetizers. Right. If if all you're getting is Sunday teaching and the verses that your pastor's going through, it's just not enough. It is not enough. And the enemy is like, he's coming for you. He's like, okay, I know what you don't know. It's just like if I sit in the room with an astrophysicist or a scientist from NASA, they could say 99% lie, and I will not be able to refute it. I'd be like, okay, that's a bunch of big words. Sounds amazing. I concur. I agree. You know, and then everybody going to die on the next launch. And so I'm like, because I don't know enough to refute it. Because they know all the words. They, they know so much they can talk circles around me, right? And so then if I say, how do I make a good choice in this next decision in my science project, you know, whatever I'm working on in NASA, I'm like, they're going to say, do the work. Learn it. So when someone's coming to you with something that's not true but sounds fancy and it's well-worded and has all the right words, you're able to discern what's not true. But, but if I know more than you, I can always make you think what I'm saying is right. And, and if the world is kind of feeding our thinking or we're driven by goals or whatever the culture says needs to happen, the voice, in your, the voice of your flesh will always be louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit because that's what you feed. The Holy Spirit is present, but he doesn't fight to be heard. He can be quenched. He can be grieved. And he's like, okay, you do you. I'm going to sit right over here until you figure it out. And so there is work for us to do to really be anchored in truth so that we really are set up for for a better chance at hearing what, what God is saying to us. Yeah, and I would just want to add one more thing. It reminds me of Galatians in 5 when it says the spirit sets itself against the flesh so it's clear. So you don't have to know as much Bible as everybody else, but it's going to be obvious. Like Conway said one time, if you go south on 75, you're never going to get to Oklahoma. So it will be plain. Okay. So the next question is, what is lust? And how do I abstain from acting on lustful thoughts slash desires, i.e. self-gratification, wandering eyes, and shooting a shot. Mm. That last one. <laughs> Not shooting your shot. Yeah, young adult, real quick. <laughs> Is that really lust? I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, listen, I think that's, that's a legit question because uh, lust and the desires of the flesh really have nothing to do with age. They have nothing to do with marital status. They have nothing to do with season of life. It's just the way we're wired. Um, because if that was the case, when people got married, they wouldn't commit adultery. Right. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, my lust is soft. 
not, not the case. Uh, so there is a practice, honestly, of, of self, of discipline that submits itself to the spirit that shows up in all of our inner growth and our inner disciplines. Like, so it's very difficult to have a lustful thought or have a craving for something. I don't care if you're trying not to eat cookies. I mean, you will stop buying the cookies and say, I'm making a commitment to the cookies, and all of a sudden, everywhere you go, somebody got cookies. Right. And they're like, girl, it's a birthday party. We got free cookies. <laughs> and then somebody's like, I just want to say thank you for how you've blessed me. I got you cookies. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm trying not to eat cookies. Because there will always be opportunity, right, for what you're trying to say no to. But if you are trying to address the issue when it's presented to you, it's too late. That is very late in the game to say, I'm just going to try to say no when it happens. I have to change my thinking. Why do I not want the cookies? Are cookies good for me? What is the long-term result? Do I hate what they do to me more than I love how they feel? Like, I'm asking, I have to talk myself through that so that when people come, I don't just see the cookie. I see all the thinking behind what that means. I know what the sugar does to my body. I know it's going to make me want 10 more cookies after they leave. I know it's, I have to think through that because if you're trying to address that issue when it comes to you, it is too late. It's too late. And then we fail and got to ask forgiveness. Be like, oh, my God, I ate the cookie, Lord. He's like, it's all right. Come on. We'll try again. You know? And then you feel defeated. And so it's, you're going to still have points of failure. But the issue is in our culture, y'all, we struggle. We really struggle with deep thought that prepares us for what happens on the, on the surface. We want to deal with the surface. We're in a scrolling culture. We want your one minute, your two minutes, your three minutes. That's what we want, quick, quick, quick. But the problem is the way we fight the spiritual battle, the way we stay armored up, is all the thinking that happens before we're confronted with the thing. And so if you have not thought through, same thing with sexual integrity, like anything else. If you just think God wants me to not have sex until I get married, that's punishment. Like everybody's going to rebel against punishment. If you're not thinking, oh, my body is a temple, I need to have self-control, purity is in line with the spirit, God created sex, I don't want to steal the gift that he created for me, nothing good has ever come out of sex outside of marriage, nothing good has ever come out of adultery, what is it, it feeds my flesh, it makes me my own God, like if you're not thinking through all these things and saying, what in the world, why do I think sex is the highest form of pleasure when there are people who have walked this earth and still to this day who for physical reasons, illness, re all kind of reasons, people not having sex. So you saying you can't have no joy in your life? Like, I need to talk myself out of the lie so that when the opportunity comes, I'm not just trying to say no to a fine dude. Like, that's not going to work. <laughs> you have to see him as a representation of things that are unhealthy for you. And so if you don't do the thinking behind it, I think it's very difficult, not impossible, because the spirit come through in clutch but very difficult to try to face things for the first time when you encounter them. And so my encouragement is to ask yourself, why do I think this is unhealthy? If you think it's just a punishment, you need to know God better. He's not a punisher. He's not out to restrict you. Like, you have to understand what's the good, healthy thing that my sovereign God knows best. Why is he giving me this guideline? And so that thinking, I think, is what really sets us up to be able to deal with the things as they, as they actually face us in our day-to-day -day life. But, I mean, that's boring. Nobody wants to do that. Like, what you doing, girl? Sitting at home thinking, just <laughs> thinking about stuff I need to work on so that when it happens, you know, I can say no. So nobody's doing that. They're not. So, yeah. But what y'all got? Y'all young and viral and sprightly. Young and lustful. What I'm got? single, so. 
you know, everything I do is illegal if I, if I tend to stumble. So what I'll say is, this is how I explained it to the kids because I had to talk to them about sex, drugs, and alcohol, not my favorite thing. But in order to break it down, I compared it to Genesis 3. After I tasted and seen, I, yeah. Yeah, I was naked yeah. and ashamed. Mm -hmm. And you can't go back. And um, Larry Crabb tells us that we're always going to thirst for something until we see Jesus. And that thirst is not guaranteed to send us towards God. And Andy Standy says in Enemies of the Heart that lust is something that was corrupted in the garden, but it's an appetite, like she was saying, with the cookies. So I told the kids, now, raise your hand if you like pizza, hamburgers, wings, and nachos. I tried to hit them, you know. <laughs> you remember the first time you ate that, you can't forget that thing. Yeah. But just like you said, if you see a higher version or a higher reason to not indulge, mm -hmm. you can pass on it. So y'all trying to have hot girl summer against First Thessalonians 4 that Paul told us we can't do that. So when you're ready for hot girl summer and you're eating carrots, it takes the same energy. Yeah. You have to have boundaries. Like I know Showtime is a little too hot on there sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you have to know how to box yourself in because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. One thing I would say is a lot of times with young adults, I'm a young adult myself, so I do it as well, is not being authentic in what my struggles are. Mm. So it's a lot of times when I'm in small group and we're answering those questions after Bible study and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I struggle a little bit. But unless you're going deep and actually talking about what you're going through, you don't have authentic community around you to call you out when you're doing those things that might lead you past That's that boundary true. that you have. And you can't keep a boundary up that you have not set. And so just like Jada has said, it's, like, it's not in the moment. You're not in the bed with somebody, and then that's the moment where you're, you're going to decide not to be with them. You have to make the decision when you first get that call to say, hey, I know what my boundaries are. I know what I struggle with. Let me find my one person that I can call in the moment to talk me down, to get all those emotions settled down, to not end up in that situation. And so if you don't have authentic community, if you're not vulnerable, if you're not being open and honest about what you're going through, the enemy is going to have so much fun tap dancing around your life, bring you into situations because you haven't been authentic mm -hmm. enough yeah, to share what good. you're struggling with. So mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing. When I was going into, when I was celibate, going into marriage, I had my one person. I don't care what was going on. This was my fiance. And I'm like, hey. We're talking at midnight. Let me call my one person because I can feel myself getting riled up. I know it's too late. Yes, it's the day before we were about to get married. We could not be together because I knew what my temptations were. I was on the phone with my best friend sharing, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And so a lot of times if you're not being open and honest about all of that, there's nobody to call you out. There's nobody mm -hmm. to say, hey, you've been leaving your house every day at 10 p.m. Where are you going? Mm -hmm. If you're not honest, nobody you better can drop that pen. Look. You better drop that pen. <laughs> Look. You better tell them. <laughs> Show me They'll the be like, wait, hold on. Why are you in Oakland? Where are you doing? going? You live in Frisco. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that practical, that practical accountability is so important. And it comes really from a decision that you're like, I, I really don't want to do this, God. There's a point where you're like, okay, God, I'm on my face. I thought I read a bunch of scriptures. I heard a good sermon, and I'm still struggling. Mm -hmm. At some point, y'all, there is an invitation that we have to say, okay, Spirit, I need you. I want you to come and I need to surrender this yes, thing to you. And then God and his faithfulness will not just have you 
try to act and behave better. He will start to unpack for you, what does this do for you? Why, why does this give you pleasure? That's why do you need this? Does this make you feel valued? Is it just stress relief? What is it? Because it's not going to always be a fiance. Sometimes it's just you and your own body right. and your own hand right. and all the things that can happen. And you struggling with masturbation or on our phones in two seconds, we can be looking at something we don't need to be looking at. Like so much is set up for us to struggle alone with no one knowing. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a moment of a, an intentional choice that says, I'm not going to do this. I equate it a lot of times to like trying to work out or stay healthy or whatever the case may be. Like when you first decide to eat better, that's not going to always be an announcement. Like right. sometimes you don't want to tell nobody to you for to right. you serious, because well, <laughs> then they'll hold you accountable. You're like, not yet. It's too soon. I'm just, I'm still contemplating eating right. healthy, you know. But at some point, at some point, you're gonna get tired of sizing up. That's you're gonna get tired of not finding something to wear. You're gonna get tired of not how you all by yourself. This is you and God. One day you get out of the shower and look in the mirror, or you're putting on something. You're like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. And then at that point, then you invite in some accountability. But don't play around, because if you're not sick of it, nobody can make you stop doing it. You got to be sick of it. Right. You, so you got to be like, I'm tired of waking up in this dude, this fool's bed. I'm tired right. of going to church guilty, skipping service because I felt bad about what I did. I'm tired. Right. I'm sick of this. Yeah. So at some point, you got to hit your own limit, because nobody, in God and his grace, he doesn't force us into righteousness. He invites us into it. <laughs> so he's like, you can stay foolish. You can stay foolish. You have to be sick of it. So that by the time you invite in some accountability and start really trying to wrestle with it, it's going to stick. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. But you have to have made that decision on your own where you're like, I'm sick of doing this. I need, I want to choose another way. And that's the moment where the spirit can really come in in that teachable moment mm -hmm. and, and set us on a different course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and telling on yourself beforehand helps. Yes. You know, yes. I, I have yeah. several disciples and we always having a conversation after. Um, but there, yeah. but it's an encouragement what Jada just said. Even if you disobey every time, you will get sick of it. Yeah. You get sick of it. Because that's how I learn. I'm hard-headed. Like, I have yeah. to do it myself. I, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. I'm not doing that anymore now that I'm kind of submitting. But that'll get you fed up. Is it kind of? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not here to lie. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> because, y'all, let me tell you this. You, you know, we are, I mean, you can be around good information and be in your word and all that stuff. But there has to be a change of, of affiliation, a change of affection. Mm -hmm. Something has to shift in your heart. Your affection has to shift. You can have a lot of information and your affections not change. Yes. Okay? So if I tell you about a great dude and that he loves God, he got saved when he was six months old and he, he knows has all the <laughs> gifts and I said, and you're not attracted to him, you're going to be like, good for him. Right. You have a lot of information about him, and that is not going to stir up affection. That's good. It's just not. Yeah. You're not going to be like, let's go on a date. You want to really press through. You're going to have one godly friend that's like, girl, just try it. You're like, oh. <laughs> You're going to be sitting on the whole date with all this information going, okay, you call me, girl, at 7 and say it's emergency. You know, so, <laughs> like, we, don't, that has to be a choice. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. You can know a lot or think you know a lot and be growing in your knowledge, but your affections never realign. Like I have to have a devotion for the Lord that says my heart breaks when I think I'm stepping out of what yeah. he would have for me. Like I'm disappointed, not when I get caught, right. yes. when I get convicted. Yes. I'm disappointed. If nobody ever knows it, if it never comes out, my heart is broken. That affection really is what 
begins to create that shift that we can stick to because Jesus died on the cross before you, before you got saved. The work was done. But at some point, we had to make a decision that I, my affection for what God has done for me is greater than what I do for myself. It's greater than how I think I'm going to navigate this world without Jesus. Like at some point, you had to make that decision. And then all of these other things can come into play as a support. And so the question really is, God, when, I, when I'm struggling with something, it don't matter if it's lust, spending, food, pride, whatever it is, God, why? God, help me to expose <laughs> why my affection for myself is greater than my affection for you in this area. That's good. I really love myself more than I love you, God. That's really what it is. Yes. Because I want to say what I want to say. Mm-hmm. I think I know what's, I got, I got pride or I got arrogance or I got whatever. And there's a question of affection mm-hmm. that information cannot change. Yeah. My heart has to be compelled to want to align with what God has for me. And so it can be done, y'all, and it's a struggle. And just because you're struggling don't mean you're not mature. Mm-hmm. Some of us are going to struggle with stuff till heaven. It's just that's the Christian life. It's a struggle sometimes. You're never going to wake up and be like, cool, I don't want nobody. You know, right. no, you're going to still be 48. I'm like, oof, ooh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> My friend's still in, we still in the group text. Like, we, we can't see that movie. We can't, no, we can't go see that. <laughs> Half us married too, still trying to walk right. Can't see Black Panther. We can't, can't, can't. One of my friends was like, we can't. I can't see no more in the Wakanda series. I was like, really? She was like, girl. I was like, oh my god. They greasing them up. They greasing, greasing them up. up. Everybody oily and listen. The devil is crouching. All shining and stuff. You like mm. paint on. <laughs> you better know what your struggle is. It's like, Mm-mm, I can't. <laughs> okay, sorry. What's the next question? The truth. Are, they, this is good. This is hilarious. Look, this is so good. Ooh, y'all helping me. Okay. Um, so this next question that we have for you ladies falls right in line with what we just got done discussing. It says, I want to step into my God-given calling, but I always feel ashamed about my past and even some of my current struggles. How can I overcome shame and the thoughts that I shouldn't lead because I feel unworthy? That's a, that's a great question. I said, did um, I write this? Yeah, because if, <laughs> did we do a podcast on shame? No, but I'm saying, you know, the Lord is using my, on my testimony, I showed how it can, yeah, it can work out. Yeah, everybody's testimony should have shame. Like we yeah, all, right. yeah. Yeah. But so the thing about it though is, you know, when you read Romans 7 and, and Paul is saying the very thing I want to yes. do is not the thing I do, right? And the thing that I hate is the thing that I do. Like yes. this, this, my body is at war because now I have the Holy Spirit and I still got this body of sin and not until heaven do I, do I have perfection. So there's a constant wrestle and he doesn't always succeed. If you read through Romans 7, even though it's really poetic language, he's, he's basically saying, and sometimes I fail. This is the, I actually do the thing I hate. You've, you've been in the middle of doing something or thinking something like, I hate this. I, I would hate for anybody to know this about me, yet I cannot stop, right? So he is really talking about how hard that struggle is, yet and still. He flips right around to Romans 8, chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And even though he's talking to the church, I think he's also talking to himself, because when you start getting in that reminder that you're failing more than you're succeeding, and you're like, this is a mess. God, why am I even here? Why you haven't struck me down? Why you let me do this, God? And then you need that voice that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean there's no conviction. That don't mean there's not even consequences for the stuff you do. But condemnation 
There's no shame. The guilt has been covered. Shame is the most wasted use of energy that I can think of. And the enemy wants you sitting there replaying things that would disqualify you. And you need to get ahead of it and say, first of all, I got more stuff than you got on what disqualifies me. I know I'm not qualified. That's not even the point. The point is that I'm called. And so I'm going to walk in this thing. I'm going to do this thing. And yes, I'm going to try to walk in righteousness and try to be better and live for God. But that is not going to put my calling on hold. You're talking about Paul, a persecutor of the church. Like, not just kind of side, like on the side, like that was his main goal. And then in Galatians, he turns around and tells them, I was called and set apart from my mother's womb. Like there was calling on his life, even when he was living contrary to what God was asking him to do. And the calling was just sitting out there waiting on him to say yes. And then Jesus comes and says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing? And then he gives him an opportunity at that moment to make a major correction in his life. And so he didn't say, Saul, let's go through all the things you've done. Let's talk about your past. He said, what, this, when are you going to say yes? And then the beauty of Paul's writing, when you look throughout the New Testament, he is the one that refers to who, how, who he used to be. I know I was the chief of all sinners. I was the unqualified one. But look what God is doing. And the, the latter part of your story, that yes, God will always make a weightier, heavier part of your story than when you were saying no. And so the shame is just a tool of the enemy to keep you immobilized. He doesn't want you to succeed. If you knew everybody's story on any stage ever in life, everybody has a reason to be shamed. Right. <laughs> All of us. So if, you're, if that is something that's keeping you from moving forward, you need to ask yourself, who's really winning here? Yeah. Is the Lord winning or is the enemy winning? Mm-hmm. And, and begin to deal with that. And, and sometimes counseling, sometimes small group, a lot of things can help deal with that. And, and it will come back up. If shame is a thing you struggle with, it will keep coming back up. But you have to keep choosing to suppress that if you know that that's a tool that the enemy is going to use to keep you from being uh, walking in whatever God has asked you to walk in, y'all. Because we all got a reason to be ashamed, for real. And so I just think that there's a, there's a power we have in being able to call out where we fail and be grateful for grace and not have to live in that place of shame so that we can still walk even in our brokenness god does amazing things through us as broken you know we have this treasure in jars of clay like we have this we're broken vessels right pressed down but not destroyed like all these things god's like i know you a mess i know you a mess i use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise i know that i've called broken people to do miraculous things on my behalf and he can and we can do that um if we choose to let whatever conviction we have alter our course for righteousness and not keep us paralyzed um, from doing what God has for us to do. Absolutely. I know y'all got something on shame. Oh, yeah. What's interesting, y'all know Nona. I know because we talked about it. That's why. Look. Not that y'all should be shamed. <laughs> we tell I the truth. It's shame to them. But no, Nona wrote the book on killing comparison. She had a really good analysis mm-hmm. about shame that I would like to share. So she said toxic comparison is the manifestation of insecurity, right? And she breaks down insecurity as having your value and your identity tied to the opinions and beliefs of others about you. Mm -hmm. And security is knowing your identity in Christ. So when she talked about um, the manifestation emotionally for toxic comparison, shame was one of them. And she said, shame, guilt says, oh, I lied about that. I need to repair that. I need to fix what I said. Shame says, oh, I lied about that. I'm a liar. And so when I think about things that I identify with, I have to call that out like we've been talking about earlier. Y'all, you have to know some Bible. And you don't need to know a lot like God, but like yeah. it's life and death. 
If you don't know it, you have nothing to back it on. And the devil knows you. And he's going to go down, 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 down. It's going to be fear, anxiety, shame, sadness, rotating. But just like Jada said, there is therefore no condemnation. Jesus is faithful to forgive you of all your sins, of the light and the dark, like he says in 1 John. So you really, really have to be aware, am I identifying myself with what I did? If I am, that's shame, and that's not who I am. So calling it out helps for me. And you know what else? There's a, there is a, there is a, um, there's a lie that we tell ourselves that um, I've seen it in some people. Like there's a diminishing spirit. Uh, there is a darkness and a diminishing spirit that says I'm going to constantly suppress myself. Mm. And like I, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. That is not humility. It's devaluing what God has valued. Humility says, yes, I'm going to do it. It might, it's not going to be perfect, but by faith, I'm going to say yes. A diminishing spirit is actually a dark spirit that says, you should not do this thing. Mm -hmm. Did God really say, are you really able to do what he's asked you to do? No, you can't. Then stop. That's not the same as humility. And so when you diminish something, it's not just you dealing with your own shame. You're basically saying to God, you price this, Jesus, at $50. I think it's worth 10 cents. That's what I think. And so my value, God, is going to supersede your value. I'm going to live like it's worth 10 cents. And so it's not even in things that, that seem shame, like, like shame or uh, self-loathing or we have self-hatred sometimes. Even in those things, there's pride. We don't see it as pride. But I'm choosing my opinion of myself over God's opinion of me. And so this is not just woe is me, I feel bad. I am deciding what I think about myself. And so Jesus is saying, so I knew you, and I still did the cross for you, and I still lived for you, and I still gave you authority and power and freedom and calling and purpose. But you're going to say, no, God, what you say doesn't count. How I feel is how I'm going to value myself. And so don't let, don't, we cannot deceive ourselves into thinking that there's some kind of sense of humility in that because a diminishing spirit is a devaluing of what God has said is valuable. You're still standing toe to toe with God. It doesn't matter if it's pride and you are overvaluing yourself or if it's this self-loathing shame kind of thing where you're undervaluing. Either way, you are saying, I disagree with God. And so sometimes we have to understand the weight of what we're doing when we try to alter anything about who God says we are. We're not more than we should think, and we're not less than we should think. There's a value that he's given us. And so even in shame, there is something that is like we are becoming like usurpers. Like I'm trying to be my own God. I get to decide what I think about myself. And God's like, yeah, no, you don't. I decided. And you were worth my son going to Calvary. And so don't. Don't take that as something that's, you know, like, it's really not extreme humility is what I'm saying. It's really still pride. And, and we have to come to grips with that and understand that what God has the final word. He has the final word in the midst of your foolishness. He's like, I still see value in you. And part of it is we can't get it because we've never had that kind of love. No, nobody loves like right. that on earth. Right. You, just, you just don't understand that because even our parents want you to act right. Like, everybody wants you to act right. And so God is like, I do want you to act right, but I want you to act right from my love not for my love and so it's just that it is such a hard thing for us to get that God is like my love is unchanging given in full cannot be altered cannot be decreased regardless of what you do you cannot have less of his love 
You, he's not going to change your assignment. He's not going to change your calling. He's not going to change your purpose. He's watching Paul stone Christians and still knows that Paul is about to write yeah. epistles to the church. Right. The, only God can handle all of that in us mm-hmm. to see us overseeing murder and then saying, but I know eventually yeah, I know what's coming for you. We can't process that because right. if your pastor got up here and said he oversaw murder, y'all be like, whoop. Right. <laughs> All right. The Lord has called me to another season. Yeah. Yeah. We can't even process that. We can't process that. If your pastor was like, uh, yeah, I did have adultery. I saw his chick on my balcony. I had her husband killed, but I also write some slamming songs. Y'all be like, what kind of church is this? We got half our worship songs because David, with his adulterous, murderous self, was up there in the deepest worship we've ever understood. So only God can see that and see all of your ugly and still see all of your calling and not think that one's going to cancel out the other. It's like, he's like, I see you on your worst day, and I still know what I have for you in the future. That's, that's what God saw. While, while David was pursuing Bathsheba, while he was sending people to make sure her husband died, God was like, I still know what I have for you. There's consequences, but it's not condemnation. I still know what I have for you. And so some of that is... We cannot wrestle with that because we don't love like that. We've never received love like that. That is divine love that sees us fully known and fully loved. That God sees us in our ugly and still calls us. And so that is a thing that we, I mean, I have to ask the Lord all the time to help me to understand, God, how you can know me and then still love me the way you do. Like, that's a whole life process, for real. Because nobody loves like that. Nobody does. Nobody. And everybody in the Bible is imperfect. Like all the not big just hitters, imperfect. They they, they try this shit. Right. Killers, <laughs> deceivers, killers, adulterers. liars, adulterers. Like everybody. David had incest in the Bible. It was not regular. They chopping ears. They doing all kinds of stuff. They were yeah. all the way trifling. Yeah. Right. It's a mess. So that's another reason you read your Bible. Yeah. You should have known. He TV. only uses raggedy people. You don't. Yeah. He does. He does. Except Daniel. Except, that's the only upright person I can think of. You right? Because they're fast. He ate them beers. Girl, I'm not doing it. Mm. I'm still, I really try when we do it, but you know, I, I had to tell do. her. I, I struggle. You struggle. Don't follow her on the right. fast. Don't, don't. She was talking about this coffee from the ground. Ma'am, you're not supposed to have caffeine. And cream. <laughs> you're going to have caffeine on the fast. <laughs> Listen, anyway. But yeah, yeah that, that's a big thing to begin to wrestle with how God loves. Um, you know, it's a it's a powerful love is such a powerful thing more than more than fear, more than punishment. There was a I remember this movie. Oh gosh, it was so long ago. I don't even remember the title because y'all probably weren't born. But it was an old movie. Auntie. It really was. I am an auntie, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was an old movie. And this guy, he was they were a wealthy family. And his daughter was addicted to drugs. And I remember this. I think Michael Douglas was in this movie. Anyway, um, his daughter was addicted to drugs, and they came from a wealthy suburban family, and she got you know, hooked on controlled substances and all this stuff. She, so much so that she ended up dropping out of private school, moving out of the house, was living in a crack house, just all the way left. And he was like a high-ranking official in government. So it was like this whole juxtaposition to how the world, you know, how drugs can affect anybody or whatever. So he was trying to do all these things, you know, put her in rehab, restrict her access, cut off her friends, all this stuff. (coughs) And so then they show this one scene, y'all, where she is just like, not looking like herself because you know her life right you know how she grew up with this mansion all this money and blah, blah, blah. she's like on this nasty mattress in this meth house i mean just like 
like I think it was Cat Crash. It was yeah, a, one of those movies like before. Yeah. yeah, like it was Crash where it had multiple storylines. Anyway, um, y'all gonna be like oh, Crash. Yeah, so Everybody it was over good. 30. It was yes. good. Right. <laughs> it's good. Um, so anyway, he he finds her because someone told him that he had told him where she was. He goes into this crack house and he finds her, y'all, and. You're expecting this anger because what he is like the drugs are, as a matter of fact. So he's fighting drugs in America, and then here's his daughter. And so what he does is he goes in and he just picks her up and takes her home. And so you start to see this change, not from punishment, even though his job is to punish, but from love. And so in our minds, we can't, we don't really understand how God constantly sees us at our worst and doesn't choose punishment like we just you're just like I can't even I don't even I can't even process that because I punish my kids when I put their clothes up you know so it's he sees us at our worst and not only does he not choose punishment he doesn't just leave you there's not neutral he chooses love he chooses some sacrificial act that says I'm gonna keep lifting you up and delivering you from this and guess what you're still my daughter and I still have assignment for you, and I'm still gonna favor you, I'm still gonna bless you. I'm not gonna remind you every day for the rest of your life that time I found you in this place. Like, I'm gonna keep blessing you. And that right there, understanding God, beginning to understand the weight of his love, that's the only thing that for me that has been able to crowd out shame in my life. Like saying, you have no place. You have no place in this because I have a God who beyond logic loves me and he knows me. He knows what nobody knows about me. He knows stuff I don't know about myself. <laughs> when I come to my own realizations, like, ooh, I do do that. And he's like, I've been knowing that girl, but <laughs> I'm just waiting on you to figure it out. Like, he knows stuff I've yet to discover about myself. And his love for us is still beyond comparison. And, and that, for some of us, that's a struggle, especially if we weren't introduced to love in a healthy way. So sometimes it's not just saying no to shame. There's a deeper thing of God. Make me aware of your love. Like, make me aware of the fullness and completion and perfection of your love. Please don't bring a, a father or a mother or an ex, or please don't bring anybody else into this picture as comparison. Please, God, just help me to have a clear understanding of your love. That is the only thing I've seen in my own life that's beginning to help uh, counter that shame, that diminishing spirit. So. That's a long answer, but I know we struggle with <laughs> That's that. That's good, though. Can I add just a little more? So, look, I'm trying not to take all the time. But that, that love thing and the sufficient grace, it you learn it as you walk, right? But I, I found that the love is so customized. So that shame piece, I read the questions before I got up here. Y'all, I was in a book group. I was supposed to read that book by 4.15 before I went to Morocco. And I always got a procrastinating spirit, and I didn't. But I listened to it yesterday, and it was right on time. So even in my faults, every time, God knows when I'm yes. going to choose against him, yes. and he's just going to correct. You yes. don't have to worry. Yeah. Just try to do the next obedient thing. And Jada told me that a long time ago, and it really does work. His love is customized to, and his your grace is sufficient. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> customized to your And there's so many times for me where God has brought people in my way. I'm, like, hiding in the background in the corner. They will find you. And God you. will send me somebody <laughs> with the exact Lord. same story yeah, as the deepest darkest thing that I tried to suppress and it's a girl crying in my face about going through it and instead of God telling me hey pray with her it's share with her what you went through share with her how I showed up for you and brought you out of that and so that shame the more that you talk about it 
the more that you take your life story with an open hand and leave it for God to use it for his glory, mm. that shame will start to go away. Now mm. I'm like, I probably tell people too much <laughs> because I'm just open. Yeah. I'm like, I can tell anything because I know I'm protected and covered by God. Yeah. And my story, as wretched as it might be, it will minister to somebody else to let them know mm-hmm. that it's no qualification, it's no way that I live my life that got me to where I am now. Mm. I still got yeah. so much room to grow. But it's through God's grace, through his sufficiency that got me there. And so it's so many times. I can't tell you. I will be walking and running through the atrium. Somebody will stop me and be like, hey, can you pray with me? I'm like, do I even look approachable? Lord, (laughs) how did this happen? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking your life with an open hand and allowing God to just use it for his glory. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to leave a comment, leave a review, share, subscribe, all the things, and we'll catch you next time.